Well, good morning, Harvest. How are we doing today? It's beautiful outside, even more beautiful in here to be able to gather together to lift high the name above every name, Jesus Christ, who's worthy of praise. Amen? What a great time of worship. What a pleasure it is to worship alongside you. Uh, Open your Bibles to 1 John. If you don't have a Bible, please raise your hand. We'd love to get a copy of God's Word into your hands. And if you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. Please take this home with you today. 1 John, uh, we're going to be in chapter 4, starting at verse 7. 1 John is toward the end of your Bible, so I'll give you a little bit of time to get there. And we've been going through this series, um, Lift Up, Hold High, and today is Love Well. So these are the distinctives that we would say what Harvest is about. And so hopefully by now and after today, you'll have more confidence when someone at your work is like, oh, you go to that church, that Harvest Church, what's that all about? You'll be like, well, lift up. Hold high, love well, and you'll have a foundation for what that means. And today we're focusing on that third distinctive, to love well those around us. Love well those around us. And isn't that a weighty topic in, today, in today's culture? Love. There's a lot of baggage around the word love. And in many ways, when I ventured to prepare for this message this last week in loving well, it reminded me of the Occupy Wall Street movement. Do you remember this? In 2011, it was actually 12 years ago this last week when it kicked off, and everyone was like, what's a hipster? And then we learned what a hipster was at the Occupy Wall Street movement, where everyone was standing with their own signs in Zuccotti Park in New York and said, our one demand, and no one had the same thing, right? It was all different things, all different demands that they want. In fact, they were a self-proclaimed leaderless resistance movement. They prided themselves in the fact that we don't have any leaders. We're all leaders, and we all have our demands. And I guess it was pretty clear that uh, if there was one thing they were unified on, it was uh, if you didn't agree with the person you were talking to in the moment, you were the problem, right? Fast forward now 12 years, doesn't that eerily sound similar to what the world talks about when it talks about love? Our one demand, love is love. Let love just be love. Let people love how they want to love. Love has no rules or limits. Let the people love how the people want to love. You can't say that I don't love. In our world right now, love has no definition. And yet it's used as the reason for a whole slew of things that are an affront to the character and the goodness of God. With no definition, love in our world right now is leaderless. Leaderless. According to our world, love has no leader except yourself. And according to our world, you need to follow your heart and let love guide you into wherever it makes you feel good. And because of that, in the name of love, our world has flipped upside down on the created order and the natural good of humanity. In the name of love and no consequence society that we live in, did you know that our world is aborting 200,000 babies a day? According to the World Health Organization, there are 73 million induced abortions per year in our world, and that excludes miscarriages. You know, it it equates to, in our country alone, upwards of 2,500 babies a day are killed. One in five babies in America are killed each year in the name of love. That's a travesty. That should break our hearts. Can I keep going? In the name of love, men in our world are pretending to be women, and women are pretending to be men. In the name of love, our world has litter boxes in children's bathrooms and schools. In the name of love, our school systems are being bombarded with material that is borderline, if not completely pornographic, that's contrary to God's word on the subject of sexuality. 
In the name of love, people are jumping from marriage to marriage, cheating on their spouses as if it's like candy, and they don't care about the vows that they stood before the Lord that they apparently intended to keep but really didn't. In the name of love, our world turned upside down because our world has made love a leaderless movement. Nobody can tell me what to do or what is right or what is wrong or who I can love or what I can love because love is love. And can I tell you something this morning? Love is not love if love is only love because love has a leader and his name is Jesus and the world has rejected him. The big idea this morning is God is love. Love is not God. See, the world has made an idol out of something that is actually really good but not good if you make an idol out of it. It's this concept of love, and the enemy is laughing at how effective it has been to not only screw up the world, but sadly, many churches are swayed into believing all of the craziness I just talked about a second ago. God is love, and the world does not know God. And before we get into our passage today, I wanna help see some context in this letter by John and the foundation he's building on when he gets into the passage that we will be into. He's building an argument that biblical love, Christian love, is different. Check this out. 1 John 2, uh, 12 through 17 is going to be on the screen, but I want to pick up at verse 15. It says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, and then it describes it, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. It says, is not from, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. John is building this argument in this letter, even going into a treatise on Antichrist right after this passage and the things that the enemy will try to pull people away with and distract people away with and deceive people with. He's building an argument that the biblical Christianity, that biblical Christianity, biblical love is different than the secular world. And he emphasized that very clearly as the main driving difference is love. This is why the church cannot embrace a secular world's definition of love. It's conflicting to what God's word says. 1 John 3, 1, it says, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. He continues on in verse 11, same chapter. For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who is of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others, for the brothers. But if anyone in the world's good, or if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. 
John is continuing building that foundation of what biblical love is. God is love. Love is not God. We should not idolize the concept of love, but worship the God who is love. The very essence and the being of God is defined by love and so demonstrated his love for us through Jesus Christ to allow us to be salt and light in a dark world, not to blend in and be camouflaged to it. So with that foundation, let's dive into our passage, 1 John chapter 4. And here's the first thing that we see, biblical love defined, you before me. 1 John 4, 7 through 21, 7 and 8 says this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because, get this, God is love. There it is. How do we define true love? How does God define true love? With himself. That's the first thing under this heading. God is love. The essence and of and everything that God is passed through the lens of love. Notice it doesn't say that God loves love. It says God is love. That means that if we are to love one another correctly, we are directly displaying the creator and his character and his goodness into the one and into the brothers and sisters of Christ that we are intending and seeking to love and even those outside of the church It's a representation as image bearers to the world. It's a representation of God himself by how we love. The number one characteristic that should define us is who God is. It's love. John 13, 35, John says, uh, by this all people will know that you are my disciples. Actually, Jesus said this. He says, if you have love for one another. In a moment, we're going to talk about what this doesn't mean, but right now, know this. If God is love, who we are as a representation of the living God here on earth should be defined by that. It should be defined by love. So let's keep going in our passage to see a second thing here. Verse 9. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Here's the second thing. God drew near and gave himself to us. That's biblical love defined. God drew near and gave himself to us. Biblical love, by definition, is a self-sacrificing love. That's why at Harvest we've given a definition of love many times as you before me. It's putting aside even what may be rightfully ours for the sake of someone else who doesn't deserve it. Sounds like the gospel, doesn't it? It's the physical manifestation of love itself when God chose to draw near to us and send his son, Jesus Christ, perfect and blameless, to be the propitiation for our sins. That's just a churchy word for settling the debt of our sin and shame. Think about that for a second. Jesus chose to replace your sin. He chose to replace my sin with himself, and he died for that. He took on our sin and shame, and because sin and shame uh, was going to kill us, he decided to die for it, and he was killed for it instead. He put us before himself, and that choice by him was the most loving thing imaginable to the point where it is the definition of love itself, Jesus in my place. Jesus placed our needs before his own rights and went to his death so that we could have life. That is love defined, family. It's the gospel. And yet it goes even farther than that. I want you to see this. Check this out. Verse 13. 
By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Who conf- whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have found in him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's almost like John is like, I just need to keep saying the same thing over and over and over and over again so it can get through your thick skulls, church, right? I mean, how many times does he repeat himself? But this is one of the things that I love in this passage that he adds to this about love and about the gospel is that God didn't have to stop there with saving us. He now empowers us to love. He empowers us to life and victory, and that empowers us to be able to love well. That's the third thing. God empowers One of the greatest blessings that I have in our community here at Harvest is I'll sometimes be sitting in my office or at the coffee shop with someone who's struggling through something or going through a trial in life, and and I would outline what the gospel is, and and just like we heard uh, that the gospel, it saves us, but on top of that, no matter what we're going through, I love being able to give the hope that there is victory in Jesus Christ because the same power that rose Christ from the dead, he gave us his spirit to be alive in us to give us victory through any situation we find ourselves in. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean worldly victory. We may actually go to our grave with the cancer that we have, but we will go to our grave with love, hope, and peace, knowing that our eternity is set with Christ. Amen? So the victory we have in Jesus Christ, he didn't have to give us that. He could have just saved us and left us be, but instead he saved us and he gave us the same power that rose Christ from the dead to be alive in us, to be able to say no to temptation, to be able to defeat against the attack of the enemy. That is amazing, true love that was extended to us when God empowers us to be able to live for him. I got off my notes there. I don't even know where I'm at right now. (laughs) The gospel has to define what true love is in our lives. Otherwise, we simply cannot love the way that the Bible commands us to. The world does not get this. In fact, the world has distorted this, and sadly, there are churches even in our area that have distorted God's word and the gospel so much that it's an abomination to the glory of God. Here's how. Biblical love distorted is defined as me before you. Me before you. If there's anything in the Bible that's a hot button issue more than the topic of love, it would be the topic of pride. The basis of all sins, pride, which is the antithesis of love. Pride, by definition, is me before anything else. It's myself before you, my needs before your needs, my feelings before your feelings. I want what I want, and no one can tell me that I'm wrong or what I want is wrong. I think what I think, and my heart is telling me this, and so you can't tell me that my heart is wrong or that I can't think this. Entire movements of unbiblical sexual deviancy have this word as their tagline. We've lost an entire month of the year 
now to a cultural celebration of a concept that the Bible very clearly says that God specifically opposes, pride. James 4, 6 says, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And by the way, I'm not just picking on the LGBTQ movement when it comes to pride. Pride runs rampant in the church. In so many other ways, it's disgraceful. We've heard this before, whether it's from an addict running back to their vice or a husband or a wife informing us that they're leaving their spouse because of what they feel. They'll say something like this, you know, I don't care what the Bible says. I know that what I'm doing is fine because I feel like it's what I'm supposed to do or who I'm supposed to be. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do what you think opposes the Bible. That actually makes me happy, and that's more important to me. And worse yet, you know, I prayed about this. God knows where my heart's at. He knows that I, 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 he wants me to be happy. How, don't you want me to be happy? Have you ever had that conversation with someone? Someone pursuing sin because they think it's going to make them happy, and then they throw you under the bus because you apparently don't want them to be happy in life? It's me, 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 me. It's me before you. It's pride. It's the antithesis of love. And here's what Proverbs says about this, if I, if I can call back to our previous sermon series. Proverbs eleven twelve. it says, when pride comes, then comes disgrace, but with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 29, 23, one's pride will bring him low, but he who is lowly in spirit will obtain honor. Proverbs eight thirteen. the fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance in the way of evil is perverted and perverted speech I hate. Proverbs 16, 18, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 16, 5, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. When you distort biblical love, your feelings become your steering wheel of life. And that's because distorted love, here's the first thing, is feelings-based. It's based solely on your feelings. How I feel is the rudder to my ship. If it doesn't feel good, then I'm not for it. And because everyone's feelings are their own, distorted love is not allowed or not permitted to question or be concerned about someone else's feelings. Even if that person is hurting themselves with the direction that their feelings are leading them in. We have seen a society for generations now pushing people to follow their hearts, follow their feelings. And what it has led to is no different than a leaderless movement. And it's not been helpful for society it's slowly and actually been, it's slowly killing our society is what it's doing. The CDC just last month put out a provisional statement citing that suicide deaths have increased in America due to mental health by approximately 5% between 2020 and 2021, an additional 2.6% increase from 2021 to 2022. Whatever the world is pushing for right now, it's not working. It says in the study, nine in 10 Americans believe America is facing a mental health crisis. The new suicide death rate reported by CDC illustrates why. One life lost to suicide is one too many. And yet, get this, it said this in this article, too many people still believe asking for help is a sign of weakness. Pride is getting in the way of people even getting help for what they're feeling. And I wonder why. Because our world has said, hey, what you feel is good. What you feel is fine. Even if that feeling is disordered, you need to pursue it because what you feel is who you are and you need to run with it. And um, it's actually hurting themselves. And now they have this conflict. What I feel is apparently good, but it's hurting me. And, my, and I, I need to be okay with what I feel. I, I don't, I, they can't even ask for help. Isn't that sad? Listen, feelings are real. Feelings are real, but that doesn't mean that they are true. That's why we need the Bible. 
That's why we need people in our lives to run our feelings by to help us see if they are in line with what what God's word calls us to, not just affirmation of our feelings. That's why we need small group to go into that split time with the guys and the girls and say, hey, I'm feeling like this right now and it's really, uh, I don't know if it's the right thing or not. Can you guys help me see what God's word says here? That's what we need. The feelings are real. I've had multiple conversations with people that start like this. I just, I feel like, and then they describe something that they want to do that is contrary to what God's word says. And you know who loves to make us feel things that aren't biblical? You know who loves to make us feel things that are disordered? It's the enemy. It's called temptation. The enemy is a bully when it comes to temptation, and the enemy right now in our world is winning. It's sad. I hope this is helpful to someone in the room today. Just because you feel it doesn't mean that it's true. We need to constantly be running our feelings through a biblical filter and let God's word identify areas in our lives where we're being attacked by the enemy. He's a bully. He's the devil. His chief reason is to kill, steal, and destroy from you. And so if you're feeling things that you know don't correlate with God's word, Don't be so prideful not to ask for help. Don't be so prideful not to run to someone to say, how can I, this doesn't seem right. If it doesn't seem right, it probably isn't. And that's why we have the body of Christ to come along and lovingly help us steer the boat in the correct way. Love distorted is based on feelings with the assumption that the feelings must be true and then needs those feelings to be affirmed in order to feel loved. And that's because love distorted has a new king. It's affirmation. Affirmation is king with a distorted love. When affirmation is king, there is no urgency to change anything in our lives because we will inevitably believe that we are the victim in whatever narrative we feel we're living in. Distorted love demands that you affirm, affirm everyone and everything, even if that thing in their lives is hurting them because of the idea that's like, well, it would be unloving for me to try to have this person see that what they're doing is harming themselves. Instead, I need to affirm them and hope that it won't hurt them. Or on the flip side, if affirmation is king in my life, and it's how I feel loved, then if someone is opposed or questions or is concerned about something in my life that doesn't seem to be aligned with God's word, then guess what? They're gone. We put lines in the sands. We cut them out. We don't need that in our lives. If they can't affirm me, then they're dead to me. It's biblical love distorted. This is the exact reason why in today's world, tolerance has lost its definition. The new world's definition of tolerance is affirm or leave. By the way, God doesn't affirm decisions in our lives that Scripture clearly speaks against. Did you know this? Scripture is very clear. There is consequence to sin. When we choose to sin, we choose to suffer. No matter how badly we feel like that sin that we're pursuing seems right, God does not affirm decisions that are contrary to his word. You know, we've heard this before. You know, I've been praying, and I feel like God is convicting me that I married the wrong person and actually is calling me to leave this marriage to go marry the person in my office who is much younger and better looking perhaps. And I just feel, you know, God is is the one leading me to this person, so I really need to be obedient to what God is calling me to do. I just feel like he, uh, he wants me to do this. No, he doesn't. That would be going against what his word says on marriage between one man and one woman for life. He's not going to affirm that decision in your life, and it won't lead to blessing in your life. 
God wants me to be happy, so I have to pursue what makes me happy. Now listen, there is a lot of blessing when your happiness and God's word are aligned, right? When what you're pursuing is aligned with God's word, there's a lot of blessing there, and that is what I believe the happiest way to live. But if what you're pursuing is opposite of what his word calls you to, God's word is very clear in Romans 1 that there is a point where you rebel against God's natural design long enough, he finally says, fine, you're going to get exactly what you want. And it says that God gives these people up to a debased mindset, and it says this, they receive in themselves the due penalty of their error. Biblical love demands concern for someone pursuing unrepentant sin, not affirmation. Biblical love would speak into someone's life as an appeal to turn around, not affirm a direction that will assuredly lead to the due penalty of their error. It is very much possible and the call of the gospel in our lives to love one another while also not affirming sin in their lives. God both loved us enough to die for us because he hated the sin that killed him. That's our model for those around us pursuing sin. We love them by patiently and with grace and truth pursuing them to turn from their sin. That's biblical love. And yet, biblical love, when it tries to reach someone who is expecting worldly love, is typically not met with a welcoming attitude, is it? Because the third thing here, distorted love is fragile. It's fragile. If love to you is founded on your feelings and you have to be affirmed in all angles of your life, if those conditions aren't met by the people in your life or in your family, those relationships get put on the line and often are broken altogether in the name of love. Distorted love is conditional, and that condition is affirmation and affection. If those aren't met by someone in your life, they're dismissed. Pastor Cal and I were talking this week about this, and um, he said something I thought was pretty profound. He's like, sadly, you know, I think people just want to be liked more than they're actually loved. People want to be liked more than loved, but that's not biblical love. Because to truly love someone in the way that the Bible lays out, it looks very different than the disordered worldly view of love. Let's look at what the Bible says love is and how we display love in our lives. Biblical love displayed, it's actually this, Jesus before me, and it begins with a heart captured by God, captured by his word. Let's continue in the text this morning. We're going to be dipping into chapter 5 now, verse 1. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God, and everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him. What John is saying here is a call back to what Jesus said to Nicodemus. You remember this? What does it mean to be born again? How can one be born again? Well, it's to believe that Jesus is the Christ the Messiah, the Savior of the world. That means you believe that Jesus is your Savior who was sent to settle the debt of our sin. And as it relates to love, our ability to love well has to start there. It has to flow from the gospel. You cannot love well if you have not surrendered your heart and your life in belief of Jesus as your Savior and Lord, who, by the way, was our ultimate example of how to love people around him approaching the unapproachable, not to bludgeon them with a weaponized truth, but to show them that they can be forgiven from their sin with the truth that sets you free. By the way, you need to understand that in the name of Christ, sadly, many people are known for what they're against more than what they're for. That's not biblical love. You ever met one of those Christians out there in the world who it's like, well, I clearly know what they're against, 
You know, it's way better to be known for what you're for more. If you are known, if you bleed the gospel in your heart, you bleed the gospel in your life, guess what? Loving well flows naturally from you. It flows full of grace and truth. The biblical love leaves you to reach those around you with grace and truth. You know, that's exactly why we exist as a church in our community. Just like Dave preached last week, our job as a church is to try to capture your heart with the goodness and the glory and the grace of God through Jesus Christ and the authority of his word. Many people believe that the job of the church is in a community is to uh, outreach and have humanitarian efforts uh, at many different levels of care and different things in our community, organizing these programs into the community. And none of these things are wrong things. Don't hear me say that. But our conviction at harvest regarding what we would call these types of things as horizontal ministry is what is that we would do as Ephesians 4 calls us to when it says this Ephesians 4 11 and 12 it says and he gave the apostles the prophets the evangelists and the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ This is what we mean by vertical ministry. Our job as a church is to preach and teach and worship in a way that captures your heart and equips your heart for the glory of the Lord, for you to then go out and do the work of the ministry in the sphere of influence and in the soil that God has you planted in. You have an amazing opportunity to take what you are equipped with here in the context of these walls of God's word and to go forth from the church to go into your sphere of influence and make an impact into the world, doing the work of the ministry. Maybe if that terrifies you a little bit, and like, wait a minute, I don't know about that. I like to come to church. I like to leave the church. I like no one to know anything about me, right? That's not necessarily what it was meant to be, but if that terrifies you a little bit, maybe you start small and you start inside the context of our church. Maybe you take the truths and the equipping that happens in the context of these walls in the sanctuary and you take them into Harvest Kids and help a younger life see the beauty and the truth of the gospel and serving the church, serving the body of Christ. Biblical love starts inside the church, but then it extends outward into your God-ordained situations. You are loving your community well when you go forth from this place equipped and emboldened with the truth of God's word. You talk to your neighbors. You, you build relationships with your neighbors. You reach your family. You start a Bible study at your workplace. You, you're observant to see, and you always have your, your uh, antenna up to see if there's someone around you struggling and to see how you might be able to help. Maybe God plays you for such a time as this in their life in that moment to encourage, to help, or at the very least, maybe just pray for them for whatever they're going through. You are loving well when you are doing the work of the ministry where God has planted you. It's not the expectation. We shouldn't have the expectation that the church is going to organize these play dates for people. And funny thing is over the last 13 years of our church, we've had many people approach us to try to make their thing or their ministry idea a harvest thing. And um, some of them were very good ideas. Uh, Some of them were very terrible ideas. And I believe the heart behind many of them were great. However, our mission here at the church is so resolved for the glory of the Lord first and the equipping of the saints more than it is to build a collection of outreach programs or horizontal ministry programs. Just recently, 
I was contacted by a couple in our church, a wonderful couple, Derek and Jill Pyle. And they emailed me and said, hey, we would like to meet. We have an idea that we want to run by you. And of course, I mean, I've been here since the beginning, and I know how these conversations usually go. So 100%, I wasn't believing the best about them. That's on me, not on them. And so I went into this coffee meeting with them, and they start outlining this plan that they have and that they've developed where they would, uh, they've or- they would have an organization that would place biblically-based, solid Christians into the context of the public school system by means of mentorship to at-risk and troubled students in the classroom. And uh, they already had access and agreement with all of the public schools in the Tri-Cities to get mentors into the lives of students to be able to be a good influence and to help them and to mentor them and to do homework with them so that they would have at least one good example in their life of what it means to follow Christ. And uh, they're talking about this, and I'm like, wow, this sounds really cool. Uh, This is going to be so hard to tell them that we can't do this through harvest. And uh, I finally, just in the middle of what they were saying, I, I was like, hey, are you intending to have this be a harvest ministry? And they looked at me and they're like, no. Why would you think that? No, we're a vertical church. That's not what the church is supposed to do. We wanted to get your input on, are there any blind spots in our planning? Are there any ways that you can think that might be helpful to uh, help us in what we're trying to do here? And in that moment, I was so blessed to be their pastor. I'm like, they get it. They get it. They took what they are equipped with and they mixed it with how God has gifted them. And man, has God gifted them in this area to be able to now form something that is going to reach the community for the love of Christ. It's amazing. And what's cool is it's a ministry that they are now, uh, it, it released this week, this coming week, it, it launches under the auspices of love and action called Connect Two. And maybe your heart is bubbling up a little bit like this is something I feel like I could be a part of. You should go to Love and Action, uh, Tri-Cities website and check out the ministry of Connect Two and know that someone who was equipped by our church and emboldened with the gifting that God has given them has created something that's going to reach troubled children in our community. Isn't that awesome? That is what it means to love well in our community, being equipped and gripped by the Word of God and letting the Lord put you into action, into your sphere of influence outside of this building, at your workplace, in your homes, at your schools. It's not our job to make these playdates for you. It's our job to equip and embolden you with the truth of God's Word to go out and be the hands and feet of Jesus. I love hearing things like that. You know, I tell you, for not having horizontal ministries and horizontal programs in our church, you guys show up to a lot of things in the community. I love hearing about it. I love hearing about people who are actively involved in the Lakeshore Pregnancy Center. Uh, So many people actively involved at Love and Action in so many different capacities, whether it's in the medical side or it's in the service side. Uh, People from our church who are taking uh, what they uh, are equipped and emboldened with and they're gifting and using it in the community through ministries that are intended for that. And I tell you what, it's, uh, it's, it's something that we take seriously as well as leadership. Just as on the elder board alone, there are currently elders housing people in their basement, working in the medical side at Love and Action, elders who have fostered and adopted children from our community, elders who have opened their homes multiple times to people who needed a fresh start in life. As pastors and leaders, we have to model this as well. Our calling is the same as yours We need to be captured by the Lord and turned toward his people in love, biblical love. Here's a second way we see biblical love displayed. It's married to obedience. Verse 2, it says, By this we know that we love the children of God 
when we love God and obey his commandments. For this is the love of God that we keep his commandments and his commandments are not burdensome. One of the ways we can commit to loving well is taking inventory of our lives on where we are choosing to disobey the Lord. What this passage is saying is that our way of loving God is by way of obeying his commandments, obeying his word. And by the way, it says his commandments are not burdensome. What John means is that uh, God's way is the best way. Sometimes it may be the harder way, but it's in the long term. Disobedience is more burdensome than obedience to the word of God because we say here a lot, when you choose to sin, you choose to suffer. Are we pursuing obedience in our lives and an expression of our love for the Lord? Are our lives living testimony of the glory of God for the gift of his son? That is displayed by following what he says. That's what biblical love in our lives looks like. It's obedience. You know what this also means? One of the practical ways in which we can biblically love our brother, and notice in these passages, it says brothers, brothers, brothers. He's talking about the church. He's talking about believers. It's to call them back to obedience in a loving way. Everywhere it's mentioning brother, it's referring to the church. He's, he, he said, you know, biblical love has to start inside the body of Christ for it to be effective outside of the body of Christ in our world, to call each other to action, to call each other to obedience and honoring the word of God. Are we willing to have the hard conversation with a brother or sister in Christ who's pursuing something that we know isn't glorifying to the Lord? Or are we leaving it alone and hands off and saying, I love them, but that's not my business? You know, church family, it's not loving to affirm a believer's unrepentant, sinful actions. But we can love them in grace and truth by pursuing them toward obedience to what God has called them to. We have to understand this. Hard conversations that call someone to obedience to get back on page with glorifying the Lord in that particular area of their lives, that is loving. That's the foundation of our small group ministry. That's the foundation of our entire soul care ministry that's built on the premise that we would lovingly and willingly step into the mud with you to help you see where God is calling you to obedience in your life. The flip side is very important here as well. Are we willing are we willing to be humble enough to let someone do this to us? If someone sees a blind spot in our lives, if someone sees an area in our lives that, that isn't honoring to the Lord, are we willing to be humble enough to hear their concern and to be called to obedience from someone else? See, because if the root of distorted love is pride, the root of biblical love is humility. It's Christ's humility that we saw displayed when he humbled himself to the point of death, even death on a cross, that we should, as benefactors to this gift of forgiveness in life, we should be willing to humble ourselves to the interjection of God's word from a loved one, from someone in our small group, from soul care, from someone in this church, into our lives. We should be humble to receive that. It's this type of love and display of love in the church that's gripped by the grace and love of God that overcomes the world. That's the fourth thing. Check it out, verse four. For everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. It's our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the son of God? Biblical love displayed, here's the third thing. It overcomes it overcomes the world. In the context of love, John says that those who have been loved by God, born of God, given the ability to love others as God loved them, what happens to them? You know what? They win. They win. And where does this victory come from? It says uh, our perseverance, it comes from faith. It's full circle back to the gospel. And so that's where I want to land the plane here today. Do you want to overcome the world in your life? 
Do you want a life that's marked by victory in Jesus Christ? It starts with believing. It starts with believing that Jesus is the Son of God, perfect and blameless, that you are a sinner, hopeless apart from a work of God, an act of God, who sent Jesus to die in your place on the cross because of your sin. Do you believe that? Do you believe that he rose again, defeating sin and death for us, eradicating our shame so that we can have life and victory in Jesus Christ through his spirit? Do you believe that? Because that is where love starts and that's what allows us to overcome everything in this life and overcome the world. You know, nothing else matters except what you believe about Jesus. We, we worry ourselves so often with so many other things in life that do not matter unless we start here. Do you believe in Jesus Christ? If you're in the room today and you're on the fence and you don't know what this means or you, you just don't know if you have it in you to believe or you, maybe you're pursuing something in life that you ju- it makes you feel happy but you know it's disordered, you know it's in that category of, un- of distorted love that I was talking about, I would call you right now in grace and in truth with love to say turn around and receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ who willingly died for you. It allows us to look at everyone in our lives with a new lens, the lens of the gospel. The gospel motivates us to reach the lost. That's love. The gospel gives us the boldness and intention to incorporate into our world. We weren't meant to hide in our basements until Christ returns. He says, be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be in the world, going and making disciples for the glory of the Lord in the name of Jesus Christ, to incorporate into the world as representatives of God himself, image bearers, light in the darkness, and the gospel is the ultimate answer to everything and is exactly what our lost loved ones need. Are we willing to step up and bring it to them in love? Loving well those around us. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for the truth of your word. I thank you for the opportunity, God, to be able to boldly and freely proclaim that your word is true and that it is the best way And God, I pray for those in the room right now who might be uh, conflicted in their hearts, conflicted in their feelings right now. God, would they see what your word says and decide to make the hard decision, perhaps, and pursue you more than their feelings. God, we renounce the work of the enemy in the name of Jesus that is trying to prevent us from doing what you're calling us to do. And we give you the glory and the honor and the praise because you are worthy of praise and glory. And God, you've given us yourself, you've given us love to be able to reach the lost and to love one another well. It's in your name we pray, amen.